This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Michael Tellinger, author of Slave Species of the Gods, Scientist, Explorer, he has become a real-life Indiana Jones, making uh, groundbreaking discoveries about advanced, vanished civilizations at the southern tip of uh, Africa. He, we are expecting him to join us live from South Africa. Uh, he is to be here in Hour 1, and um, we'll be here to talk primarily about the Ubuntu movement, the Ubuntu contributionism, uh, the blueprint for human prosperity. Uh, Coming up in Hour 2, paranormal investigator David Spinks will be here. David is a featured speaker at the HillCon 2018 Paranormal Conference, which will be happening down in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, September the 22nd. And David recently, this is interesting, he recently purchased a very haunted location. It's called Willow's Weep in, uh, it's a small town, I think, uh, Danville, Indiana. And I was on YouTube not too long ago. Um, A number of investigations have happened at Willow's Weep. And in one of them, uh, you see the investigators, and I don't know whether David was involved in this investigation, but there is a wheelchair. They wheel this wheelchair into the the, the, the video frame, and uh, they leave it there, and the, the camera is focused on it for a number of moments, and then... The wheelchair starts to move on its own. This happened in Willow's Weep, and uh, as I say, David purchased this property so that he could further his paranormal research. Uh, I guess very similar to Robert Bigelow uh, purchasing Skinwalker's Ranch in order to uh, study paranormal, uh, um, further his paranormal research. Anyway, David will be here in the, uh, the second hour. All right, uh, let me introduce the boys in the band. On the Flying V Gibson guitar, our technical producer, Ian Robertson. 
Ian, again, let me remind uh, people that his uh, album, his brand new album, is now out by the Grease Marks. It's a self-titled album. And again, um, Ian, where can people purchase that? Greasemarks.com. And how would you describe the music of the Grease Marks? Uh, nasty rockabilly. Nasty rockabilly? <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. If you would imagine early Elvis on Sun Records. Oh, that's not nasty. Like, our version's nasty. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, is it now? Yeah. All right. <laughs> the Grease Marks. Yes, help send Ian to college and uh, <laughs> purchase, um, purchase a copy of the new album. It's available on CD, but soon to be pressed into vinyl. Hopefully, fingers crossed. All right. Good. We're looking forward to that. Uh, and on the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, story producer Albert Vinzel. And on the Hammond B3, the live stream producer, Ryan White. And we are streaming live on YouTube. Uh, you know, we're in summer mode. Sometimes we're, we're here, uh, you know, streaming live, and other times we're not. Uh, however, I should point out, this will be the last live stream on, on the YouTube channel until uh, September the 16th, I believe. Because, well, the point is, even if we're not live streaming on YouTube, the audio from the program will be posted on the YouTube channel, the Conspiracy Show YouTube channel, within days. But we are live on the YouTube channel tonight, live streaming. And a couple of programming notes. Next week, Dr. Paul Williams will be here. He's the co-author of The Killing of Uncle Sam. And we'll delve into the deep state and... More precisely, I guess, the secret society that has led to the demise of the United States of America. I'll give you a hint. Cecil Rhodes. That's all I'm saying. Cecil Rhodes. All right. Do we have Michael Tellinger? No, we don't. However, we'll keep trying. Um, imagine a perfect world full of harmony and abundance, the kind of world most of us have dreamed of all our lives. This world is possible, and we are creating it for ourselves, according to uh, Michael Tellinger, not somewhere in the distant future, but now, in our own lifetime. The socioeconomic structure of our country and our world, he says, has failed us dramatically. The freedom that our forefathers strived for is in danger of being lost forever. And we can no longer sit idly by watching the destruction of our country, our towns, and human potential by greedy corporations supported by a government with no remorse for its actions or accountability to the, to the people it is supposed to serve. We can no longer sit silently, hoping that someone will unite and create a new way, a new system, and a beautiful life for ourselves and our children. The Ubuntu movement has a simple plan, to turn our small towns into places of abundance and prosperity for all the people, where there are no hurdles to progress or restrictions on personal growth of the people. Uh, Michael Tellinger is an author of six books, a scientist, an explorer, who has become a real-life Indiana Jones, making groundbreaking discoveries about advanced, vanished civilizations at the southern tip of Africa. His continued efforts and analytical scientific approach have produced stunning new evidence that will force us to rethink our origins and rewrite our history books. He's the founder of the global Ubuntu liberation movement of higher consciousness and the Ubuntu uh, party, uh, party as a political front for this global movement with members now in over 200 countries. And uh, we are waiting uh, for Michael Tellinger to join us by Skype, but he is 
not responding for whatever reason. There's a time difference, of course. And, uh, but we'll keep trying to reach Michael. Now, in the interim, why don't we do this? Ian, unleash the phone lines. It's been a while since we've done open lines. You can ask me anything. Now, don't ask me for a veal recipe. Keeping in mind, this is The Conspiracy Show after all. If you have a, uh, a question regarding a past guest, if you have a suggestion for a future guest, if you'd like to ask uh, my take on a particular, uh, I don't know, recent geopolitical event, if you have one to offer up on your own, would love to hear from you. Also, we can uh, throw it open to paranormal uh, stories. If you have had an encounter with a paranormal, with the paranormal, uh, a UFO sighting, uh, etc. While we are waiting for Michael Tellinger to join us live from South Africa. So why don't I give you the phone numbers? In the greater Toronto area, 416-360-0740. I can't remember the last time we did open lines. Can you, Albert? It's been a while. 416 360 0740 and toll free from out of town 1 866 740 4740 1 866 740 4740 and again in the greater Toronto area 416 360 0740 416 360 0740, or as we should say, 0740, 360 0740. Coming to you from our flagship station here at Zuma Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM. All right, let's kick things off with Glenn. Glenn, good, good evening. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hi, not too bad. Uh, is Paul Hillier still with us? As far as I know. You ever uh, had him on the show? I've had Paul on. The, the, the Honorable Paul Hellier has been on this program, I would say, probably three, four, maybe five times. But it's been a while, keeping in mind. I think Mr. Hellier is almost, I think he's around 95 now. And uh, I also believe that he's very busy working on his memoirs. So he's kind oh. of focusing his, his energy and his time on that. What, did you have a specific issue you'd like to raise with Mr. Hellier? Oh, no, I just know that he's uh, uh, very interesting, uh, both in his, uh, his understanding of uh, possible extraterrestrial life uh, visiting Canada, mm. and also uh, his views on sort of government issues and stuff like that. Right. Well, yeah, he had kind of a... Um um, how would you how would you describe it? I guess his own personal disclosure in I think it was two thousand and five, and our good friend Victor Vigiani was very instrumental in convincing um, the Honorable Mr. Hellier to to uh, announce to come public to go public uh, with his belief that that the Earth has been visited by extraterrestrial civilizations. Can you just hang on a second? I think my uh, cordless phone's dying. It's you're very Quiet, I can hardly hear you at all. All right, might just be your hang on, I'll phone. grab another one. It's, all uh, right, well, while you're doing that, I'll just talk to the folks. But, um, oh. yeah, Paul Hellyer, um, he, his, his, um, I guess his, his coming to Jesus moment, if I can use that expression, uh, 
someone gave him a copy of uh, Philip Corso's book, uh, The Day After Roswell. And he took, he read that book while he was up at his cottage. And then he had obviously made contacts over the years as defense minister and, and deputy prime minister with uh, military people in the United States. And uh, he happened to be speaking with one who he's never identified as far as I can tell. And he asked this particular high-ranking military officer whether everything, whether what Corso was writing about in the day after Roswell was true. And this individual said, yes, everything and more. Uh, so this really ignited the Honorable Paul Hellyer's interest in UFOs and ETs. Uh, now, he has, he has had his own UFO sighting. I believe he's mentioned it um, on this program. Uh, during a trip to Montreal, he may have had more than one. Uh, but while he was defense minister, while he was defense minister, he had no knowledge uh, of uh, extraterrestrials or, um, or or little interest, quite frankly. Of course, the other interesting area that, that um, Paul Hellyer has, has spoken about is the Bank of Canada and the Bank of Canada Act. And I believe he was part of this, um, uh, it's not a class action lawsuit, but it was, it was a, it was a, a um, litigation before the, the, I think it went to the Supreme Court of Canada. And uh, Rocco Galati, the attorney here in Toronto, was, uh, was representing this particular group that were, that were uh, charging conspiracy. That the, the federal government, the Queen of England, you name it, were involved in this conspiracy, ignoring the Bank of Canada Act, which would allow the various levels of government to borrow money from the Bank of Canada, which was nationalized back in the 1930s by Prime Minister King. They could borrow money for very little interest. And uh, that all changed under Pierre Trudeau in the 1970s. Uh, and then, of course, they started borrowing from international lenders. Anyway, that's an, an, a whole other kettle of fish with uh, Paul Hellyer. But he is a multifaceted, fascinating individual. Uh, we hope he is well. And um, I, again, my understanding is he's working on his memoirs. All right, we'll continue to try and raise uh, Michael Tellinger from South Africa. In the meantime, open lines here on The Conspiracy Show. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. On Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Hey, welcome back. Paranormal researcher David Spinks joins us in the second hour. I want to talk to him about Willow Weeps, this house that he purchased down in Danville, Indiana. I have seen some startling videos on YouTube. Uh, he purchased it because, uh, well, it's a very haunted location and he wanted to further his paranormal research. Uh, so, um, I don't know if he lives there or not, but my gosh, I've seen some pretty scary things. Right now, it's open lines. We were expecting to be joined by Michael Tellinger, the author of Slave Species. 
but he's also, of course, perhaps even more famous now as the, the founder of the Ubuntu movement. Uh, but we are um, not able to raise him, so we will soldier on in his absence and delighted for the opportunity to speak with you. And it's been a while since we've done open lines. Uh, let's uh, say hi to Alan in Alaska. Hello, Alan. Hello, Richard. Uh, first of all, I want to compliment you and your team on a great show. Shows, I should say, in the plural. Yes, my, I do have a great team. Uh, Albert, a terrific story producer, and Ian, my technical producer, and, uh, and Ryan, who does a, a stellar job running our live YouTube stream. How are you listening or watching us? Well, I was trying to uh, watch on YouTube. It didn't seem to be working, so I went straight to the, uh, to the website, to the... Uh, uh, All right, so you're streaming us... website. Right, okay. Well, we're glad to have you. What I'd like to ask you is, I'm just curious, uh, what is your take on uh, so many uh, people that are not uh, Americans are so interested in our geopolitics, especially since President Trump has become president? Why are we interested in President Trump? Yes. Well, the President of the United States is is ostensibly the most powerful man on the earth. I mean, I would say that we have been, we have, we have been deeply interested in most of the presidents, if not all of them. Um, I mean, you know, President Obama certainly was uh, a topic of conversation up here in Canada. Uh, you know, Bill Clinton, you name it. Um, but certainly, Donald Trump holds a certain fascination because, uh, for my mind, I can only speak for myself, he is, love him or hate him, he is a disruptor. And I'm very, I'm fascinated by disruptors. There are only two types of politicians, as far as I can tell, and one of them is a disruptor. The other one is an individual who simply manages the decline, and we've seen those. Uh, they um, they don't do a whole lot. They they talk a whole lot. They have a lot of lofty rhetoric that they offer up, but nothing really changes much. Uh, in fact, usually things sort of just kind of slowly slide, you know, into the abyss. Um, and I, I like disruptors because, you know, things need to change. We need fundamental change. We don't need someone to uh, just kind of rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. And uh, what we have in Trump, warts and all, is a major, major disruptor. And he is a he is challenging of uh, the, the, the present order. And that's, it's, in many respects, it's like shoveling sand against the tide. It's, it's one might say it's, it's almost futile, but at least, at least he's trying. Uh, and yes, he's, you know, he's made major mistakes. A lot of what comes out of his mouth is, is very objectionable. A lot of what he, you know, on his, his Twitter machine <laughs> is, uh, is concerning to me, but the general thrust of what he wants to do, he is challenging the elites, and if you look at who's aligned against him, that to, that to me speaks volumes. If you want to know what someone is about and who they are, you look at the people that are lining up against him. And I look at the, the elites of both political parties, I look at the mainstream media, um, and um, I look at what I would consider the forces of globalism are lined up against this president. And if, if they're against him, then I have to be for him. That's how I feel in a nutshell. I can't speak for anyone else. 
Well, I think you spoke for me as well, Richard. That, that sums up for me as well. That's why you're the host, I suppose. Anyway, a great show, and uh, could you put the grease marks on sometime for bumper music? That's. Can we do that? Do you have? Why don't we do that? Okay, yeah. when we come back, hear them. let's do that. Thank you. Great suggestion. When All we right. come back, Ian thanks. will Ian, Ian will cue up a uh, a a song from the Grease Marks. Thank you, Alan in Alaska. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, who else do we have? We have. Uh, is it Augie, or is it Augie? Yes, it is. Hi, Augie. Welcome. How are you, Richard? I'm well. How are you? I just want to say your show is fantastic. Number one, I a thousand percent agree with you on President Trump, but that wasn't the reason for my call. Okay. Um, some years ago, you had a guest, and his name was Philip Marshall. Yes. Who wrote a book called The Big Bamboozle. Yes. Concerning the, uh, the 9-11 uh, debacle. Yes. And from what I understand, some months after he was, he was interviewed, he was found shot to death in his apartment with uh, two of his, of his sons. He had two teenage children, and the allegation is that he shot them in their, while they slept and then turned the gun on himself. Okay. Um, that was up in—I uh, I believe it was up in Santa Barbara, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. It, well, I mean, that was the story that was uh, given, I believe, correct? That's the story. Now, now I, I, I met Philip— I was hoping that you would have some sort of a follow-up show— on, on that, I, I mean, I don't know who you would interview uh, at this point, but is there any way uh, something could be... Uh... I'll look into it. I'm sure someone is, it seems to me, in, in the, maybe within the year, someone uh, was, was investigating it, uh, kind of a citizen's journalist, but, right. and I can't remember whether we did anything at the time. But just my background with with Philip is is this. I um, I believe it was season three of the TV show, the conspiracy show. Right. I traveled to Santa Monica and had uh, uh, found out about his book, The Big Bang Boozle, and he was a former United Airlines pilot. Right. And uh, was representing other um, United Airlines pilots and was trying to get to the bottom of this. Wrote this book, The Big Bang Boozle, which relied heavily on the first. The first um, um, congressional investigation into 9-11, not the one we hear about and read about, which right. went nowhere, the one that, uh, you know, I, I believe President Bush funded, well, he spent more on his re-election barbecue, this is the joke, <laughs> than he did on this investigation. Right. But, but the first one, uh, which was chaired by a, a Republican senator from Florida whose name escapes me, maybe Ryan will know, and um, that one... They tried to subpoena a lot of uh, FBI field agents. They were stonewalled at every turn. Yes. And, uh, and, and um, he wrote a book called Security Matters, this particular uh, senator. And uh, uh, he, his investigation was showing all sorts of connections to the Saudis. Right. And uh, so, so, so Phil Marshall wrote this book about it, The Big Bamboozle. It was and an eye-opener, that book. It was. I, it was a fascinating book. And I met him. At, we had, we, we, I interviewed him at the Santa Monica Pier. And what can I tell about a man, you know, in, in one meeting? Not a whole lot. I, all I can say, he's, he just seemed incredibly rational and, yes. and lucid and normal. But what does that mean? I mean, I really can't say anything beyond that, except that we, I had him on the radio show after that a couple of times. 
Right. And we we corresponded by email a number of times. And I I would say about two months before he died, there was kind of a fast flurry of emails. He was wondering when the episode was going to air. Uh, and it never did, actually. We were working on a, um, a 9-11 inside job uh, episode, and it never aired. And um, so Phil emailed me, when is it going to air? I don't know, Phil, I don't know. And then, two months later, approximately, someone sent me an email with an attachment from the front page of the Santa Barbara newspaper. Right. I opened it, and it said, "Conspiracy 9-11 conspiracy theorist, uh, um, Found it. Yeah, double homicide and then turned the gun on himself. Okay. Now, I mean, you and I both know that this could just simply be a cover story. I mean, from the JFK assassination, we know of all of the of the incidental and, and coincidental kinds of deaths that occurred. So I, I don't know. I don't know if you believe that. I'm, I don't dismiss it entirely. Here's, a, here's the okay. in, now. Here's an interesting little sidebar before I get into the actual details of his death. So. Maybe it's maybe it's this morbid side of me, but whenever someone I know dies, I immediate and if I've had contact with them, I immediately go into my email to see what was our last correspondence, what were we talking about, right? And um, I went and I did a search, and I here's something you need to know: I don't delete emails. Okay, I'm really bad. I don't clear them out because this is how I store contact information. It's a horrible thing to do. It's the most, you know, it's not the way you should do it, but it's the way I do it. I don't delete because there might be a phone number buried in there. I searched up Phil, Phil Marshall. Nothing. 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 On. Every email that I had from Phil, every email that I sent to him was gone. And that I don't, is bizarre. I don't know how to explain that. That's number one. Number two... Um, as I say, he just seemed like an incredibly normal for him to, to to kill his two children and then turn the gun on himself. It doesn't. I, I, listen, as you say, we don't know what the inner workings of someone's mind no. at the time, etc. But it just does not seem. I don't know. It doesn't seem plausible. He was going through a divorce. Okay. My understanding is, um, according to the newspaper reports, it was it was uh, not amicable and. Um, so they held that out as a motive. Uh, according to other others, it was amicable. Uh, he never talked about that with me. I've also heard reports that they found the gun in one hand, but he, he was, he was um, if they found it in his left hand, he was right-handed, or they found it in his right hand and he was supposedly left-handed. Left -handed. Right. Someone else reported seeing a, a, um, a vehicle uh, parked out front of his house. Uh, he had apparently he had some conversation with somebody. He went out and he... He um, he tried to confront these people that seemed to be hanging out in front of his house. I'm hearing all of these reports. I have no uh, no right. corroboration on any of them, but that's right. that's where it was left, and that was a number of years ago. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, no, I, I I just wondered about it, uh, Richard, because I I figured maybe somehow some way you'd have a follow up on it. But I know that would be a difficult task. Not necessarily. Maybe I'll get Albert to look into that, and let's okay. see if 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 someone has delved into this, someone credible, right, uh, right. who has looked into Philip Marshall's death, and, and let's and see I, if there's I anything else. I just want to add one last thing, and I'll let you, I'll let you go, Richard. And, and that uh, I'm hoping that you get back James D. Eugenio. Yes. Because I, he has really, uh, I read everything he's ever written, and he is, I think, right on, on, on target with the JFK thing. Jim's a, gr a great guy, and he, he comes up with stuff that nobody else does. I mean, right. He, 
Yeah, right. when these when all of these documents get dumped, he goes through them with a fine tooth comb. And that's a tough task. Yeah, no, Jim's a great guy. Oh, rest assured, Jim will be back on the program. Okay. All right. Thank, Thank you, Augie. Thank you so much, Richard. Where are you calling from? Uh, New York. I thought I recognized that New York accent. <laughs> My favorite city. Thanks, Augie. All right. Take care, buddy. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, William is in Toronto. William, good evening. Welcome to The Conspiracy Hello, Show. Hello, Richard. Hi. I have a Toronto accent. You may or may not recognize it. <laughs> do we have a Toronto accent? Yes, we do. Just listen to what I have to say, and you can figure it out. All right. <laughs> I wanted to talk about um, Paul uh, Hellier uh, and his book, uh, The Money Mafia, and expand on what you said yes. uh, earlier. Now, uh, Mr. Hellyer not only wrote the, the book and gave you the inside information, but he, very important, he provided a solution that uh, uh, would uh, um, uh, resolve the problem and uh, let people, uh, let the Bank of Canada um, borrow money for next to nothing or pay it back in a long period of time, uh, just like before the G7. And uh, this... Uh, should be taken into consideration. It's in his book, and he knows these things. Uh, if any, he's an expert on it, so people should listen to him. He's got the solution right there in his book, and it has it should be implemented because we cannot uh, go like this anymore because everyone's going to go um, uh, bankrupt, and we're going to go into a serious, serious depre- uh, recession here. Well, I would, yeah, I would like to see someone hold the 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 um, this time. You know, I'm a, I, I support the Conservative Party, uh, but I'm a little disappointed in in that they they don't hold the Prime Minister's feet to the fire, the Finance Minister's feet to the fire. Why don't they bring this up in the House? Unless yeah, they're all uh, unless right. they're all in on it, but why are they ignoring the Bank of Canada Act? It's not a, someone confronted pr- the Prime Minister, uh, and he said, "Oh, I don't engage in conspiracy theories." There's not there's no conspiracy theory here. We have a, cons- a Bank of Canada Act. We have the Bank of Canada. It was nationalized. Yeah, it, but but you can't use it because you're in the G7. If you opt out of the G7, then you can use the Bank of Canada Act again. That was the agreement. Is that right? Yeah, mm. that, that's what I, I read his book, and I, I think that's uh, what I interpret from it. Right. Uh, and uh, that's why you can't. You, you, we need to get out of the G7, and we also uh, need to get rid of uh, Section 33 in our Constitution, where the court can say, uh, "Well, we've heard everything, but we don't like it. Too bad. Go away." That's what they did with. Uh, um, uh, the court case against the, the Bank of Canada. Uh, right. I believe the ruling there was that uh, that uh, Bracco Galati, who took the case before the, the court, was told he had no standing. Well, yeah, well, they just made that up out of thin air, uh, as they usually do. So uh, th- that's another way of saying, yeah, we, we've heard everything that you said. Everything that you said is, ex- is very true. Mr. Galati is an excellent lawyer. Uh, I know him personally. He's, he's good. And... Um, and uh, he, he puts forth good, uh, put forth a good case. Right. I, I wasn't aware, though. Another I was... way of saying mm-hmm. as uh, implementing Section Thirty Three uh, that we don't, uh, we uh, it's not suitable for us to uh, rule on it. Although you presented a truthful case. Right. I wasn't aware that that was one of the uh, that's part of the G Seven agreement that we we. If uh, we want... uh, I'm sure it says uh, in, in his book. Uh, I got it from somewhere. It must All have right. been from Paul's book. Sure. And, uh, That's good to know. For, for the nice people and uh, our nice neighbors to uh, to the south of the 49th, uh, Mr. Trump has to get rid of uh, 
the War Measures Act that took place on March 9, 1933. Once he gets rid of that and closes it all up, the Federal Reserve Bank will go away, and, and you won't have to deal with them. And the Americans, uh, our American neighbors, can start printing their own money as the Constitution, as their Constitution, Constitution says. William, we got to go to a break, but thank you for okay. checking in. Appreciate thank the call. Thank you for listening, Richard, and uh, we'll call back later. All right, we'll do. Ah, uh, well, the last two presidents that challenged the supremacy of a Central Bank of America charter were shot in the head in public. So, maybe not such a great thing uh, to challenge that if you value your life. All right, we'll uh, come back more uh, open line here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sound on Zoomer Radio. Because there ain't no trouble you find, but you got bad, bad blood. You're evil to the heart. Grease marks from our very own Ian Robertson. Now, Ian, you're playing lead guitar? Uh, I'm drums on this one. You're drums? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They need that backbeat. Nicely done. <laughs> yes, Sam Phillips would be proud. Let's hear a little bit more. Ian Robertson and uh, playing drums on this track, uh, his band, The Grease Marks. And uh, is that the is that the debut in, on, on radio? Yeah, this song? that's it. Wow. Come Undone. Come Undone. And yeah. who wrote that? Uh, and the name escapes me. Is it a member of the band or is it's it, not, is it a cover it's not, version? It's, it's, a, a cover. It's, it's not necessarily a cover. It was written for us. Oh, it was written for you. All yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. It does have that very much that, that Sun Records feel. Yeah. Um, you know, that wild mid to energy. late 50s. Absolutely. Well done. Love it. Love Thank it. Thank you. The grease marks, folks. All right. Let's say hi to Ed in London. Ed, good good evening. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yes. Hello. Uh, I'm uh, very upset about the Phil Marshall killing myself, and I've uh, got a few more background facts I'd like to put in. Oh, all right. Okay. He was uh, a CIA contract pilot for Barry Seal. I believe that came up in his book, yes. The former... Uh, Drug runner at the CIA. Yes, that, he, he was killed yeah. also, and they just made a movie about him. That's right. He did but, mention that in his book, so The Big Bamboozle. Movie, uh, might be a guest. The other information was that uh, his son Alex, his daughter Michaela, and his dog were all killed. That's right. Yes. Shooting. Yes. And he lived up in Calaveras County, uh, in the hilly area. We could write his books quietly. Is that, yeah, I think the newspaper article was in a, in, a, in a Santa Barbara paper, if I remember correctly. Is Santa Barbara in that area? If you go on the Internet, in his autopsy report, they said he was bipolar. <laughs> so that would explain his insanity of shooting his own kids. Well, 
it's possible. Um, as I say, I mean, I, I guess I met with him maybe for about two hours in Santa Monica, and um, I certainly had no inkling of that, but that means nothing. That means nothing. All right, Ed, thank you so much. Uh, Etsko, is it Etsko? Hello. Hi, Etsko. Well, that's an interesting name. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's Japanese. Oh, it's a beautiful name. Etsko, what does it mean in Japanese? Oh, I can't tell you at the moment, but right. I do. I, I have to go very soon. Okay. But uh, I do have a, a quick question, and or two questions, and if you could, uh, I'll take your answer off the air. Okay. All right. I recall uh, hearing a radio commercial of yours for your show where there is a female guest, and she was, I think she uh, was talking about how the One World Government is trying to get us to, uh, for example, abandon um, country or rural side living, and they're trying to have us move to, of course, the cities and live in tall condos and apartments and so forth. Yes. And and I, I don't recall her name, and she was saying that we should uh, talk to all of our city councillors, but what would she uh, propose for us to do when cities everywhere in the world are short of housing? And I'll take your answer off the air. All right. The um, If I'm thank remembering... You. I, thank you, Etzko. Very nice to meet you. Hope you'll call again. That was, um, that was Rosa, and I'm trying to pr- remember the pronunciation of her last name, but it was Coir, uh, uh, K-O-I-R-E. Rosa, K-O-I-R-E. And she wrote a book called uh, Agenda 21, UN Agenda 21, Behind the Green Mask. And the UN Agenda 21 is supposedly this um, rather nefarious plan by the United Nations, as, as uh, Etzko uh, indicated, to herd everyone into cities. They call it, and it, it goes by a bunch of different names, smart living, smart housing, smart transit. And it, is, it was supposedly a, a volunteer uh, or a, an agreement that was, uh, is based on volunteerism, but... Um, all of the major cities throughout North America seem to be signing on to this. And you'll hear things like, again, um, a terminology like uh, sustainable development. And these are all code words, according to Rosa, which, which means that, uh, again, they are, they are trying to uh, take away personal property. They don't want us... I mean, look around. What's happening, right? Um, in this city... The uh, the city planners, they hate the automobile. That should be pretty obvious to anybody. Tried driving down King Street recently. Uh, they just, they want us out of our automobiles. They hate the automobile. Uh, they hate suburbs. They hate the idea of you having a, um, you know, a nice little, uh, or an, a nice size backyard, a double garage. Um, they want us... Think of the movie Soylent Green, basically, this dystopian view of the future. And that is what Rosa uh, sees as our future in UN Agenda 21. And it's a blueprint for the 21st century. So uh, as to uh, what is the solution, um, what, do, what, does, what, what does Rosa propose? How do we fight this? Well, first, the first thing is we have to become aware and we have to let our city councillors know that we know what they're up to and um, the powers of the ballot box, I guess.
if they come around to your door this October, hold their feet to the fire. Ask them about smart development, sustainable development, and smart living, and smart housing, and, and um, let them know that you know what they're up to. That's the first step. Where we go from there, well, that's anybody's guess. But first, we have to hold their feet to the fire. Thanks for your call. We'll get back to more of your calls here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To see the light. Call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Hey, welcome back. Uh, Next week on the program, Dr. Paul Williams, the co-author of The Killing of Uncle Sam, The Demise of the United States of America, and we'll delve into the deep state and the New World Order and the secret society that really is at the root, he says, of America's ills and... uh, uh, that would be the round table, the secret round table uh, started by Cecil Rhodes. All right, uh, we are enjoying our open line segment, a very rare treat. Uh, we were to speak with Michael Tellinger about the Ubuntu movement, but um, Michael is in South Africa and um, was to join us by Skype. Who knows? Maybe we got our wires crossed, the time zone difference, and so forth. However, we are uh, taking an opportunity to do open lines, which is rare, but um, it's always great to hear from you. Peter is in Buffalo. Peter, good evening. Welcome to The Conspiracy Hi, Richard. Hi. Great show you have. Thank uh, you. I guess you don't need uh, especially another comment since everyone is... Uh, it's always nice guess. to hear. I don't get tired of it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, the reason why I called uh, a couple things, uh, I'd sure like to mention our great food co-op here in Buffalo, New York. Give them a plug. A food uh, co-op. How does that work? Really neat. It's called Lexington Food Co-op, two locations. How does that work? Well, you don't have to be a member to shop there. Uh, Just walk in and stock up on all sorts of organic foods. Uh, There's also non-organic foods. I think it's 60% is organic uh, that's sold there. A lot of local stuff, of course. Um, But, um, yeah, I always... um, mention that to people I talk to, uh, and another thing that I'd also like to mention, uh, that I think I mentioned to you before, a great book from 1963 called The Ultimate Frontier, uh, but I should warn you and everybody who's listening, if you ever check it out, it is very, very controversial. Um, it's uh, on the topic of religion and philosophy at the library, so you know how that stuff can be. It can be really good or really terrible. Right, right. And um, what would what would the what is the main premise of uh, the... what is the premise? Uh, well, I guess uh, if you can get by all the uh, what I call technical knowledge and predictions, out now predictions. Um, I guess it's kind of like um, just what a lot of great 
people, philosophers have told us uh, over the years, people like, um, you know, Lincoln, Emerson, Confucius, um, you know, kind of the same ideas. Uh, but, you know, I was wondering, uh, you were talking about um, Philip Marshall and all that stuff. Uh, so how come you never aired the 9-11 um, show you were going to do? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I, I just, I don't think we... We, we would produce a batch of shows, and then the the uh, the broadcaster would sort of you know choose the ones that they wanted to air. And I mean, it, we had previously aired nine eleven shows, so I don't think it was anything to do with you know them being afraid of the topic or anything. Um, in fact, it was you know Vision TV, and uh, we had we had uh, in season one I think we did a, a, a an episode on nine eleven on controlled demolition. So. Uh, it just, you know, we we had it, we pitched it, and it just didn't get picked up. And and um, I'm trying to think what season that was. I can't remember. It was either season, th- I think it was season three, or season, maybe it was season four. No matter. It didn't get aired. Um, one day, maybe it'll see the light of day. But that was, um, I believe that was Philip Marshall's last TV interview. And uh, probably one of the, the last interviews he did on radio was with me as well. Uh, yeah. Now, the, the, uh, the gentleman who called in earlier um, called back. Was it Ed from London and wanted to mention that someone who, is in, who has been investigating Philip Marshall's death was Wayne Madsen, who is a, uh, uh, will be well-known to people who sort of cover or, or, or follow alternative news. Wayne has a, a pretty large online presence and imprint uh wayne covers a lot of material so um maybe we can look albert jot that down maybe we can chase after wayne madsen yeah that would certainly be interesting uh so did you investigate at all uh, i don't know how all these things work these computer and email things work but did you try to investigate how all those emails got deleted no no i didn't i just i <laughs> i just kind of smiled to myself and said ah here we go this is interesting no. Well, yeah, I guess you could say that. I mean, as I say, um, that's, that doesn't happen to me anyway. I mean, I, I don't delete emails, and, um, uh, you know, I could go back. You know, I, I remember a friend of mine who passed away probably five years ago now. I could, I could do a search right now, and I would probably have uh, 25, 30 emails dating back to maybe 2012. They're all there. They should all be there. Let us hope that was only some kind of electronic fluke. But, um, well. If yeah, only. Okay. If well, only. Uh, yes. That's pretty much all I wanted to say. I don't want to hold up the line. But, again, uh, you guys, all you guys there, you have a great show. I think it should be uh, picked up by a whole lot more radio stations. Uh, um, I don't know, whatever you can do to... Uh, we're working on it. It's a long, long road. I think we're at, uh, I think we have something like 38 affiliates across North America. Uh, but a lot of those are small stations. God, God love them. We love all our, our, um, our affiliates. But uh, who knows? One day, maybe we'll, we'll get there. So I guess you have worked with uh, Coast to Coast, you know, with their contacts um, uh, to, uh, you know, it seems as though any station that would... Uh, broadcast that show would uh, would look into your show. Well, well. We, I'm on a, a few affiliates, a number of affiliates that also carry Coast to Coast, and then on those occasions where I host Coast to Coast, uh, I'll be heard on that affiliate doing Coast, and then 
sometimes immediately followed by this show. So maybe they're just getting sick and tired of hearing my voice. I don't know. (laughs) No, well, you're a great host on on Coast to Coast, too. I think that uh, in a lot of ways you've uh, uh, taken up where um, uh, his name even slips me now. John, uh, forget his name, uh, the guy from Texas. John B. Wells. Yeah. Oh, well, that's. That's very kind of you. He, John is an excellent broadcaster. Peter, thank you so much. I appreciate your kind words. Oh, you're welcome. Take it easy now. You Bye. too. All right, let's uh, check in with the Hoosier State. Doug is in Indiana. Good evening, Doug. Yeah, Richard. Uh, I was listening to the news recently where the Hubble Space Telescope has kind of reached a limit on what it could see of what we know of the universe at two trillion galaxies. That's it? And, That's all? Two trillion? Yeah, just, just a mere two trillion. Mm. But who's to say that there could be a vast expanse of just nothing but outer space at the at the borderline of this known universe? And if you would cross this vast ocean of space, you'll run into another universe. And so if you're looking at what we know as the universe, could be just one as if you look at a galaxy, I'm trying to say this and try to sound intelligent as I can, and if you're looking at the universe from such a distance, the universes that that collect look like a giant galaxy. Now, how does that uh, grab your, your intelligence level when you're looking at something like that? Well, it's pretty awe-inspiring and makes us feel pretty small and insignificant. If that's what you're going at, yeah. Um, I know, I, I hear people say all the time that, uh, you know, if there are more planets out there than there are grains of sand on all of the, or more suns, than more, more suns out there uh, than um, there are grains of sand on every beach on the Earth, how can we possibly be so arrogant as to assume that, you know, we're the only intelligent life here in the universe? But I, I hold fast to that. I do believe we are. Uh, in, in terms of the universe. Now, I'm not talking about different dimensions. That's a whole other kettle of fish. But um, uh, I, I do believe this is it. We're it. We are special. We are unique. We are living in the sweet spot of sweet spots in a very hostile um, uh, universe for the most part. And the fact that we are here uh, and thriving is, is, I mean, the odds against it are just incalculable incalculable. That's a hard word for me to say. I've got another question for you, Richard. Yes. Uh, So the expanse space is so, the possibility of extraterrestrial life is so, you know, extraordinary out there. And if we're visited, which I think we are occasionally by extraterrestrials, is it a good idea for some nation to take a fighter jet and go up and try to intercept and lock on with missiles onto somebody that's that's so advanced over the planet. Do you think that's a good idea? Well, if they if they are able to travel uh, to the Earth from distant galaxies, then they already have have um, harnessed the power of the sun. They probably have you know uh, they'd have to be hundreds of thousands of years more advanced than we are, I would think. 
And uh, so for us to, you know, to, to engage them with a, an F-35 or, or an F-16 would be akin to a, a mosquito hovering around my face when I go out to barbecue at night. It just, it, it, inconsequential. I don't think they'd give it a second thought. I've never heard it explained to better is what you just did there. That's, that's a taunt. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, why... It's like trying, it would be like us trying to communicate with an ant. You know, we go out and we, you look at an ant and we don't think anything about it, right? We, um, they, I think they would probably look at us the same way. That's assuming that there is an intelligent extraterrestrial civilization in the known universe. But I don't think there is. I think we're it. All right. Thank you all for uh, participating in our open lines. When we come back, let's uh, talk a little paranormal, shall we? David Spinks joins us next. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft. That greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods. Hello to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zuma Radio, AM 740, 96.7 FM here in Toronto. Those of you who are checking us out on one of our affiliate stations across North America, those of you who take us with you where you go on your mobile device, your your tablet or your cell phone with the Conspiracy Show and the Zoomer Radio apps, both fabulous and free downloads, available for both uh, Android and... Um, uh, what's the other one? <laughs> if you don't have an Android, you have a... Apple. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like I'm playing $20,000 Pyramid. <laughs> it's not an Android. It's a cell phone. It's a pass. All right. Uh, however and wherever you're checking us out, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Oh, I should mention the podcast, if you haven't already checked out, Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. It drops three days a week. New episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and my other podcast that I'm very proud of, it's the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. So if you love rock and roll and you love true crime, unsolved murders, uh, the paranormal, strange coincidences, uh, you name it, it's all there. The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone and uh, new episodes drop every Wednesday at midnight, 12 a.m. Eastern. It's part of the Jericho Network, as in Chris Jericho of uh, WWE fame in association with Westwood One, and uh, just Google it. That's the best way, but it's available at uh, Apple Podcasts and, and, and Google Play. The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. Check it out. All right, let's talk a little paranormal, shall we? Last week we had a um, another speaker from the uh, Hill Con Paranormal Convention, and tonight we're bringing you another keynote speaker. David Spinks has been researching and investigating the paranormal since 1986 in various aspects due to several 
experiences he had as a young man. He retired from over a 20-year career in the U.S. military and federal law enforcement in 2011. And since that time, he's investigated the paranormal on a full-time basis and has conducted several hundred investigations during his time researching the supernatural. Dave not only investigates hauntings, he investigates reports of strange creatures as well as UFO encounters. He's investigated some of the most notoriously reported haunted locations in the United States and several in Europe. All of this has led to numerous hair-raising and unnerving encounters, as one might imagine. Recently, Dave purchased the infamous haunted house known as Willow's Weep to further his study of the phenomena Related to hauntings, his sole purpose in investigating the paranormal is to answer some of man's greatest questions. Is there life after death? Are we alone in the universe? Are there unknown creatures walking among us? He believes there is, and that alone is his motivation. Dave has been featured on numerous syndicated radio shows to include Coast to Coast AM, Darkness Radio. He's been seen on the Discovery Network's Destination America's Terror in the Woods TV show. He was also featured in Small Town Monsters, The Flatwoods Monster, A Legacy of Fear, Paranormal Zone TV, several local news stations, just to name a few. He's often a request, he's requested to be a guest on, uh, at paranormal conferences, and uh, he will be, as I mentioned, participating at the HillCon Paranormal Convention in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, September the 22nd. Dave Spinks, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. My pleasure. I'm great. How about you? Terrific. Willow's Weep in Danville, yes. Indiana. Uh, tell us about that. When did you purchase that? Uh, do you still live there? Do you? I mean, do you live there? And when did you purchase that? Um, I actually pur- purchased it last summer. I do not live there. I wouldn't recommend anyone to live in that dark location. Really? Um, yeah. Um, a friend of mine, who, a woman who, uh, the prior owner, who I became friends with after investigating the, the location several times, had so many uh, paranormal experiences there, even to the effect that she thought that it was trying to kill her husband, and she reached out to me and said, look, I'm going to put this place up for sale. And there's only two people that I would want to have this place because I know you guys uh, know how to protect yourselves. And that's a long story short. That's how I became the owner of it. And so what do you do with the property? Well, um, I said, what better place to have to uh, study the paranormal? You know, so many other groups have been there and experienced paranormal, unexplained paranormal events. So I figured, well, why not turn it into a, uh, my own paranormal lab, if you will? You know, a, a place that myself and other like-minded folks could uh, research and study paranormal happening, see if we could get one of the small pieces of this gigantic puzzle that we're all searching for answers for. Now, I um, I was mentioning off the top of the show, I was on YouTube recently, and I saw an investigation. I don't know if you were involved at Willow Weeps, and this is in Danville, Indiana. And in the video, uh, there's a, a wheelchair, and someone rolls the wheelchair into the middle of the room. The camera's um, um, focused on it. And there's no one around the wheelchair, and about a minute into the video, the wheelchair starts to roll and roll and turn. Uh, were you involved in that investigation? Have you seen that video? Um, I was not involved in that investigation, and I do not believe I've seen that video personally. I would like to see it. <laughs> um, but 
yeah, like I said, there's been so many other groups there over the years that have experienced unexplained phenomena. And, you know, that's what we're all trying to do. We're all searching for pieces of that puzzle. And Willow's Weep is a prime location for that type of situation. Well, what's the, the history of the house that has led to all of this paranormal activity there? Well, first of all, I mean, this is a topic that we could talk for for literally hours on. Um, but I'll give you a brief background of the place. It was built in the 1800s. A fascinating thing about this location is that it was actually built in the shape of a cross. Now, that's that's strange enough in its own right. Um, it was rumored that the original builder... Uh, was into some weird stuff, as one can imagine, building a house in the shape of a cross. Um, he was a postman or a postmaster, we don't know for sure. But he built this place with the intention to funnel energy because in every corner of that house there are windows. And at one time there was door six different doorways in and out of this place. That, the house is not very big. It's around twelve to 1,400 square feet. Um, in the original building plans, there was uh, supposed to be a stairwell up to the attic. Well, there was a, a false ceiling that was put in, and there was no stairwell ever put into the attic uh, area. Um, just, just to you know, start it off. Um, also, there is numerous strange deaths that have been factually, you know, I've got factual information on them. Uh, a couple of suicides, at least two, possibly three suicides. Um, the third one I'm still trying to verify. There's all kinds of strange happenings. For instance, um, when Brenda, the last owner, bought the place, she had hired a local uh, man to help her do maintenance work. Well, she sent him under the house to check the pipes. Well, he got under the house in the crawl space, and it's very small. I can barely fit under there on my hands and knees. And, um, you know, he was crawling around. And there was these strange mounds of dirt in one corner, so he had to push the mound of dirt away uh, away from him to get over to where the, some of the pipes were. As he pushed this mound of dirt away, uh, a bone popped out of the dirt pile, and he grabbed it and he started looking at it. And in his own words, and I've got him on interview stating this, that he was uh, sexually attacked by an unseen force. He crawled out of there as fast as he could, got out, took Brenda where Brenda was, handed her the bone and said, I'm never going in that place again. That's one instance. There's numerous, numerous instances of people being attacked by something unseen. There's numerous shadow uh, figures reported in in numerous poltergeist activity reports. Um, Another strange aspect to the house is that in the crawl space, if you picture a cross in your mind, in the center of where that cross would be, directly below it in the crawl space, there's a pit dug. Now, in this pit, there there are ashes, as if someone had burnt something in a possibly a ritualistic manner. And around the pit, there are large granite blocks in a circular pattern around the outside of the pit. Now, that's very strange. Why would anything like that be under a house? Um, during some renovations to the house um, for her son, because that's why she bought this place, um, numerous things had happened. Um, the first day they walked in, a pipe flew that was standing in the, against the wall, flew across the room, hitting her son in the head, cutting his head open and putting a large knot on his head. Over the years, numerous people in her family had been attacked in the house. Um, a little niece of hers was probably around three years old, and in the back of the house there's a big barn. The barn is a, a newer type barn, you know, metal building with a cement floor, and they would often have parties, you know, get-togethers in this barn and on the property there. 
Well, they all saw the little girl waving and pointing at something in the top window of the house, and they all ran over there and said, "What are you? Who are you waving at, honey?" And they, she said, "That little girl up in the window." And they all looked. There's no little girl in the window, and they said, "You know, we don't see a little girl." And they said, "She's right there." The little niece said, "She's right there." And then a few seconds later, she started screaming in pain, and they're like, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" She said, "The little girl bit me." And they said, "Where'd she bite you?" And they said, "On my cheek." She said, "On my cheek." And within minutes, a bite mark, a human bite mark, appeared on the little girl's cheek. Dear Lord. That's another, another instance of something crazy that has, been, that has happened to that house. All right. Well, David, you stay put. We'll come back. We'll uh, talk a little bit more about Willow Weeps. And uh, we'll also talk about the Flatwoods Monster. I know that's a favorite topic of yours. David Spinks, Paranormal Investigator stays with us. He's a featured speaker at Hillcon Paranormal down in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, happening September the 22nd. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth will set you free, but first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. David Spinks is a real boots-on-the-ground kind of paranormal investigator. He has investigated hundreds of... Of, uh, of hauntings and um, cryptid sightings, uh, supernatural uh, investigations as well. And uh, again, uh, David will be uh, a keynote speaker at uh, the Hillcon Paranormal Conference, and that is uh, happening in uh, Newcastle, Pennsylvania, September the 22nd. And uh, uh, Pennsylvania, that's... Uh, Pennsylvania and West Virginia, I think, have to be two of the strangest states in terms of, uh, well, just the, the, the sheer volume of paranormal activity. What, do you, are you from Pennsylvania, David? No, I'm a, I'm a West Virginia native. Yeah, West Virginia. All right. So that's yes. certainly up there on the list. Uh, I was actually it? born in Braxton County, right down the road from where the Flatwoods Monster is. Ah, the Braxton County Monster. All right. Well, let's let's talk about the Flatwoods Monster because that's, uh, you know, most people, that's overshadowed, of course, by the Mothman. People think of West Virginia. They think of the Mothman uh, from 1966-67. Now, the Flatwood Monster, uh, I mean, that predates Mothman by about a decade. But, yes. But there are a lot of similarities, are there not? Um, in some aspects, yes, as far as the UFO-type sightings, there's a lot of similarities. But uh, still, yet, there's a lot of differences, too. So tell us about Moth- uh, Braxton. Mothman, Mothman went on for many years. You know, the Flatwoods incident was maximum of three to five days uh, of all the events that occurred. Okay, so tell us, uh, the, uh, give us the uh, the details on the on. Uh, I guess Braxy is kind of the nickname because it's Braxton County yeah. Monster, <laughs> yeah. the Flatwoods um, Monster. It's been called several names: the Flatwoods Monster, the Braxton County Monster, and the Green Monster. You know, um, and Braxy as a uh, local nickname given into it. Um, my connection with it started as a young man hearing my mom's first cousin speak 
about how scared they were because they actually went to the school with some of the eyewitnesses that uh, saw, you know, had this experience. And the um, the sheer terror, you know, when I was a young, a real young man, I, hear, I remember them talking, you know, when we had family gatherings and uh, I would sit there and I was fascinated but scared to death at the same time. And they, they were so scared uh, during this time that they would, they didn't even want to walk home from school. You know, and back in those days around here, a lot of people were very poor and they didn't even have, um, plumbing. So they had to use uh, outhouses. And a lot of times some of, some of my cousins, you know, they, they refused to go out to the outhouse at night and would often get in trouble because they would actually use the restroom off the front porch. (laughs) So. You know, hearing that growing up as a young man, it, it fascinated but frightened me as well. The um, in 1952, if you've never heard of this this uh, experience and this whole story, there was a mass UFO wave sighting over the east coast of the United States. There was UFOs being reported over the White House by numerous people, so much to the extent that um, Air Force pilots were put on 24-hour alert and were ordered to chase these things down and shoot them down if necessary. Um, Now, if that doesn't tell you something, you know, there was something real going on. Of course, it was the middle of the Cold War and all that, and everyone was scared that, uh, you know, we would be under attack by the Russians and whatnot. But, you know, the speed and the characteristics that these UFOs had uh, far exceeded anything known to man at the time and still do to this day um, that we know of that's been put in the public, you know, uh, as far as we know that there we don't have craft that can perform those type of maneuvers and at those speeds, but you never know there could be top secret black projects, you know, out there by our military and a lot a lot of the theory is that they're all reverse engineered uh, alien technology. So, you know, um, the Flatwoods monster happened, you know, the sighting happened. A, a bunch of kids were playing football at the local grade school when they witnessed a fiery craft uh, come overhead and make several turns as if it was being controlled by something intelligent. Not, It was not a meteor. It was not anything that could be rationally explained. Well, upon seeing this, this whole group of boys uh, ran up to their house, which this object appeared to land on the Fisher farm, which was right behind our house. So they, you know, they ran up to tell their mom what they had seen, and they quickly got together, got flashlights, and headed out to about approximately where they thought this thing had landed. Well, on their little walk up to the hill to the field, the Fisher farm, as it was so-called then, uh, they noticed a really weird mist or fog hanging low over the field, and these this mist um, actually became noxious, and they, you know, reported burning eyes, choking, and whatnot. And a dog had gone with them and went up ahead. Well, after a few minutes of this, they kept walking, and two of the boys in later interviews reported seeing uh, a craft off to the right down over the hill landed. And they walked a little further up this hill in this field, and they were shining their flashlights around, and one of the boys came face-to-face with it, and he put his flashlight on it, and that's when the entire group saw this thing. The dog had already made a beeline back for the house, and they couldn't figure out why. Now they knew why, because, you know, they it had seen this creature. They described this creature as 10 to 12 feet tall, um, 
sitting under a large oak tree, and they knew it was that tall because they later measured the branch that was above this thing was standing under, and it was 12 to 14 feet in the air. So being scared out of their wits, they all made a beeline back to the house, and um, it was widely reported. It made worldwide news. They were interviewed by numerous reporters and writers and uh, law enforcement and whatnot, newspaper uh, writers, and they were interviewed over many days, and they all had the same story. They never changed it. They were asked to draw pictures in different rooms away from each other. All the drawings are very similar in nature. So, uh, you know, they it was surmised that they did, in fact, see this thing. Um, they weren't lying, and, you know, to this day, you know, the last two remaining witnesses will talk, will tell you, you know, they saw what they saw and they don't know what it was, but you know, they're, they, they were ridiculed growing up and they even kind of went away. They didn't want to talk about it because they were ridiculed by other kids and whatnot. So it's a fascinating story. It made worldwide news. It was a really big deal. And then the Mothman sighting started happening and this case got swept under the rug. Right, right. Uh, so 10 feet tall and also described as having a round blood-red face, a large pointed hood-like shape around the face, eye-like shapes which em- emitted greenish-orange light and a dark mm-hmm. black or green body. Yes. Um, and a lot of people don't know the secondary sighting of this creature was um, encountered by a couple the next day. Uh, on their way back from uh, a trip to visit relatives. They were from New York, and they had traveled all the way to uh, Ohio and Cincinnati to visit relatives. And they they had some extra time, so they decided to, um, you know, take the scenic route, if you will. And they came through West Virginia, and they had no clue that all this had gone on. And their name was uh, George. uh, His name was George Snitowski and his wife and their infant, infant baby, uh, were in the car while they were driving uh, on the route and the car just quit and it was about 10 to 12 miles away from the first sighting the car quit for no apparent reason George knew that he had uh, checked everything and had a, even had a fairly new battery in the car and there was no reason for it to just quit like it did well they began having the same uh, smelling the same sulfuric uh, smell that and that made them sick uh, after he got out and checked the car, you know, this, this smell came, became overwhelming and the baby was cr- started crying because it was affecting it. And long story short, you know, he, uh, while he was checking things, he saw a, a purplish white glow down over the hill off the bank from the car. So he kind of went over there to inspect what, what was causing this glowing light. And he reported seeing this fairly large orb and he described it like one of the old street lights but much much larger in nature and he was fascinated by this so he started heading towards this thing as he got closer he started having a strange physical uh, effects and he and then this this thing was affecting him physically and it, he reached out to touch it and when he did it um he, he explained it described it as being shocked similar to being shocked, but like a million needles went in through his whole body and he went to the ground, you know, and he was overcome by something. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he, um, 
he kind of staggered to his feet, and he, he was becoming more physically ill, uh, even nauseous, uh, throwing up. And he stum- started stumbling back toward the car. Well, he came upon a tree, and he kind of leaned against the tree for a second to get, ca- you know, to regather himself. And that's when his light, he w- noticed his wife staring back towards him, and she let out the most blood-curdling scream you can imagine. And she was looking past him when she did this. So he turned, and this creature was following him, trailing him. <clears throat> well, he turned and saw it, and he every took every ounce of strength he had, and he stumbled back towards the car, fiddling with the door handle, you know, almost out of control because he was so scared he couldn't manipulate the door handle and get back into the car. So he finally gets in the car, grabs his wife and the baby, and they, and then he reaches up in the glove compartment, grabs his combat knife, and they all huddle down to the floorboard of those old 1950-style cars. You know, they were really big. And after several, some some time went by, he decided he was going to take a peek, so he kind of raised up and looked over the dashboard, and there was that creature standing at the front of the car. And he described it as having a long, spindly arm that came down and was kind of feeling around the hood of the car and the roof of the car, trying to almost as if it was trying to figure out what this car was. Well, after a few moments of doing that, it kind of turned and just glided away. So they, they both rose out of the floor. They're looking off to where this object and this creature came from when they see the, the circular object rise to what he described as a couple of thousand feet go into an undulating pendulum-type motion back and forth, back and forth, and then it just burst out of sight in an instant, leaving a weird trail behind it and disappeared. And he only that he only did that interview in a now defunct men's magazine many years ago. He was asked to be interviewed hundreds of times by other writers and reporters, and he declined them all, saying that, you know, I told that story once, I don't ever want to talk about it again. Hmm. So that was, that was a really fascinating aspect of the Flatwoods monster story. And uh, perhaps most predictably, uh, it has been dismissed by people like Joe Nickel at the uh, the Center for Skeptical Inquiry as uh, I think he said it was a, it was a meteorite, and then what they saw was a, a barn owl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, nu- numerous people described this thing, this fiery ball coming down, making um, precise turns, if you will, you know, not, not, not as if a meteorite would act, but, you know, a meteorite would shoot straight across the sky and either burn up or explode sure. or hit the ground somewhere. Sure. This thing made uh, turns, sophisticated turns, and landed in the Fisher Farm field. Didn't someone, didn't they, they found skid marks and some sort of a gummy substance, which may... Yes, um, there was a captain, that's another aspect we'll talk about real quick, if you don't mind, the, yeah. the, the local... Special Forces Unit in the West Virginia National Guard was called by D.C. and told to get up there and investigate. The captain in charge at that time divided his men into two groups. His group of men, and the whole group consisted of approximately 50 to 60 men, he divided his unit up, sent half of them down on the Elk River um, to investigate a reported airplane crash. The other group went covertly to the backside of the Fisher farm and came in on an old logging trail. Um, if that doesn't tell you something, I don't know what does. You know, They don't just call up the whole special forces unit. And this this guy, the, the 
the CO in charge of this unit, you know, he was in Korea and World War II. He was a very well-known guy. You know, he'd been around the block, and he was in charge of the, the Special Forces Unit in West Virginia. So he brought his men in. He discovered uh, an oily-type substance. He was told to collect any specimens he could and send them in, send them back to D.C. post-haste. Um, they also discovered some indentions in the ground where it looked as if something did indeed uh, land there you know, and, and make marks into the ground. So uh, in a later interview he conducted, he said that he he was asked, you know, what happened What happened with the, once you sent in the uh, substance and the, did you get anything back from D.C.? He said, absolutely nothing. I never heard anything back. And he, he was quoted as saying that, uh, to best of his knowledge, he, he feels like there was definitely a government cover-up because he was never told anything else about what he had sent in or anything. Right. So you gr- you grew up in uh, near uh, Braxton County. So obviously this mm-hmm. this uh, this is in your blood. Uh, yeah. You had your own paranormal encounters at, at an early age. Why don't you tell me about one of those before we uh, yeah, run into the break? What got, you know, other than the stories here and growing up and stuff, uh, what really got me, I was 13 years old and... Um, me and my grandfather were fishing. We would always spend time in the summers together and go fishing. And we had this one spot here on the Dolly River that we really liked. You know, we would always do really well fishing. So we packed our gear, headed out to the river or in our favorite area. And we, uh, you know, I was dying, chomping at the bit, wanting to get a line in the water. So as we unpacked our gear... You know, I kept asking my grandpa, can I go ahead and start fishing? And he kept saying, you know, we got to get the gear set up in the tent and everything. And, and I kept on and on. He said, all right, go ahead. And so I was while I was fishing, he was getting some of the gear set up. Well, I caught a really nice trout. and I had bragging rights, you know, because not only did I catch the, the first fish of the day, I caught ended up catching the biggest. So long story short on that, we both caught our limit, had our gear set up, and we ate like kings that night, you know, and we were just sitting there right before dark. It was about a half hour, 45 minutes before dark, just relaxing, looking at the river. Um, when out of nowhere, this huge splash hit the water in the middle of the river. I mean, it was so heavy and big that the water rained down, you know, from this splash. We both jumped up. We, we, could, we were trying to search around to see what could have caused that splash. There was nothing in the water, uh, no sign of anything. We thought, well, maybe, you know, a tree, a large tree branch had fallen off and hit the water or, or whatever. But after several minutes of looking, we couldn't figure it out. And my grandpa said, well, maybe, you know, maybe a boulder rolled off the other side of the bank and hit the water. But I knew that couldn't have happened because I seen where the splash was and it was way out in the middle of the river. And this river was about 75 yards across. But, you know, I didn't want to know the truth. You know, I kind of just listened to my grandpa and said, all right, yeah, maybe he's right. Now, the other side of this bank was pretty much vertical. You know, it's a side of the river that humans would not necessarily go because it's just too steep and too rugged. So we sat back down, um, started relaxing, and then out of the corner of my eye, actually, first I heard this noise like something breaking through the trees, and out of the corner of my eye, I seen something coming through the trees, and I looked, and this massive boulder, like bigger than one, bigger a, a big enough boulder that a grown man couldn't fit his arm, both arms all the way around the same. 
come in an upwards direction through the tree limbs and come out in the water and hit the, hit the river again. Well, we both jumped up and I looked for my grandpa and he's making a beeline toward the tent and I know what he's going to do. He's going to grab the shotgun. So I'm just standing there just bewildered, not knowing what to do, scared to death. And he comes running back and he yells across the river, you hoodlums knock it off or I'm going to shoot. So in his mind, he's thinking there's people messing with us. <clears throat> well, after just after he said that, this just ungodly howl, guttural roar, I don't even know how to describe it. It's so hard to describe, but it, it went right through you comes from that side of the river and that's when he picks the shot you know it's an old single shot shotgun so he could shoot across that river and it's not going to even hurt a human you know it might pepper somebody that's about it so he fires off around and this thing lets off another roar but we can't see what's making this noise at this time so after he fires a shot another shot he tells me get to the truck boy so i run over there the truck's kind of angled so i can I'm hiding behind the front tire and the quarter panel peeking around the bumper looking in that direction. David, I'm going to jump in here. We're going to leave this as a kind of a cliffhanger. We're heading into a break. When we come back, we'll finish up this story. What was it in the woods that night? David Spinks, my guest, paranormal researcher, featured guest at uh, the upcoming paranormal conference in uh, Newcastle, Pennsylvania, Hillcon. 2018. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Dave Spinks is with us. He's been researching and investigating the paranormal since 1986 after retiring uh, from a, uh, after a 20-year career in the U.S. military and federal law enforcement. He took up uh, paranormal research full-time. He will be a, a featured speaker at Hillcon Paranormal Convention that's happening in uh, uh, Newcastle, Pennsylvania, September the 22nd, and um, he uh, hails from West Virginia. So you were you were regaling us about this rather harrowing incident. You were 13. You were out at a fishing trip with your grandfather, and um, something was howling at you from across the uh, the river in the woods at night. Um, I'm intrigued by this this large boulder uh, that was was. Um, coming out at you at the, at the what was that all about i don't know you know um only thing i could figure was that maybe it was upset that we were maybe possibly in its territory it was you know trying to ward us off or whatever it was rolling but, boulders at you it was yeah and you know if you hear if you hear other sasquatch reports there's a lot of reports of people having large sticks or branches and even rocks thrown at them. It's yes. happened way many, many times. Yeah. But anyway, like I was hiding and then after several shots, you know, my grandpa comes running towards me, picks me up with one arm, throws me in the truck and I slammed to the other side. He said, we're getting out of here, boy, that's not of God. 
and he, you know, slams the truck into gear and just peels out of there. And I've got my head buried in my, you know, in my hands thinking, oh my God, we're going to tear the truck apart because he's hitting bottoming out every pothole. This is a rough couple of mile road into the, off the hard top into the woods. And just, it sounds like stuff's falling off the truck, you know? And I was like, this truck's going to break down and this thing's going to get us, you know? <laughs> so, you know, you got to imagine I'm 13, so I'm scared to death. So we finally make it to the uh, hard top. We drive around for a while, don't say anything. I could kind of tell my grandpa was gathering his thoughts, and uh, he, he pulled off the side of the road, and he said, you know, son, we better not tell anyone about this because they're going to think we're crazy. And he was a Baptist minister after World War II. You know, he wasn't scared of anything. He, he stormed the beaches at Normandy. He was in the second wave. And the man had been through it all, seen it all, you know. So to see him pretty much scared as well really scared me even more. So we never talked about that, you know, that incident and that experience for many, many years. And a couple of years ago, um, he died. And I, I actually wrote this story in a friend of mine's book series, David Weatherly's Woodknock series. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's how it came to be. I was on the TV show Terror in the Woods. And now it's these woods are haunted or whatever they're showing. You know, they renamed it, put it on the travel channel. But that's how I told that story. You know, they came to find out about it. And, um, of course, they Hollywood fired some of it and whatnot. You know, they added a few things that didn't happen and changed a few things around. But that's TV for you. That's what happened. Sure, but sure. I, so when I, you know, I approached my uncle and I told him I wanted to tell this story. And I told him the whole story and he started laughing and he said, uh, he said, oh, you're talking about that monkey man you and Grandpa seen in the woods. And I was like, what? He told you? And he said, oh, yeah, he came to me like 25 years ago. And he said, I got to get this off my chest in case something happens to me. I want someone else to know what me and David saw in the woods that day. So here I kept it secret all these years. <laughs> and, you know, I, I finally decided I was going to come out and talk about it. And here he had told my uncle about it. So, you know, it was kind of a, a last laugh, if you will, after he passed away and and whatnot. So that's what really started me in my journey on this on this crazy paranormal train I've been on ever since, you know. He described it and, as a monkey man, but did you get a good sight of it? Did you get a look at it? Yeah. Um, right, right when I was uh, peeking around the truck, I saw it from about mid-chest level up, and it was just smashing trees and making one hell of a racket, you know, um, knocking these big 60-foot trees around like they were just, you know, weeds of grass, you know, pieces of grass tall grass and uh as my grandpa had shot towards it you know it was really pissed off but it, it started going a, about a 45 degree upward angle up the mountain away from us and that's when we got the heck out of there you know so this thing was massive it had a, a tiny head compared to its body it was i would reckon it would be two grown men across the shoulders up here put together and you knew by the size of this thing it could kill a grown man with no problem Sasquatch or something different? What's that? Was it a Sasquatch or something oh, yeah. entirely different? Yeah, definitely, definitely a Sasquatch because I didn't even know what a Sasquatch was back in those days. And, you know, I started researching it. And back in those days, we didn't have the luxury of the Internet. And I, I came across newspaper articles in the local libraries and, and magazine articles. And I had that's when I first learned about the Patterson-Gimlin film. You know, and I said, hey, you know, other people have seen this thing. I'm not crazy. And that's 
you know, it, it was exactly what other people had reported and, and seen themselves. So that's how I knew it was a Bigfoot. We we often hear how, you know, peaceful and tranquil these creatures are, and, and some people even attribute telepathic abilities to them. Uh, yeah. This doesn't sound like that. Listen, we're going to take a timeout. We'll come back. David Spinks stays with us. Paranormal investigator, speaker at Hillcon Paranormal, happening September 22nd. Back with more. Don't go away. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Dave Spinks is with us, paranormal investigator. We were been, we were talking about uh, terror in the woods. This happened when he was thirteen. A confrontation with a rather hostile Sasquatch. I mean, we always hear how tranquil and peaceful these creatures are, and they just want to be left alone, and and uh, they're more afraid of us than we are of them. I don't know. <laughs> what do you make of that? Uh, well, there's numerous stories out there, Richard, uh, even from the Native Americans that say. They kind of have their space in the woods, and the Native Americans have their space, and they knew not to go over there. And then there's all kinds of other stories from Native Americans where these redheaded giants and whatnot would come and actually kidnap members of the tribe, put them in these baskets that they had on their backs that had reverse-pointed spikes so you couldn't climb out of the basket, and they were cannibals, and they would take these tribes members back and actually eat them. And... You know, you, there's all kinds of accounts, you know, uh, from these Native American tribes, such as those that say that these some of these beasts uh, were not uh, so tranquil. But then there's other reports that, you know, people have had run-ins with these creatures and never had one problem. So I would liken them to kind of like people in a sense, if you if that makes sense. You know, you got some good ones and some bad ones, and <laughs> there's all different uh, nationality types of these creatures, if you will. Some have uh, their own agendas, possibly, and then there's all kinds of theories that they're interdimensional, because um, there's many reports of people falling a trackway, seeing a Bigfoot, and the thing going behind a tree, and then it disappears. Right, they fall right. the trackway, and the tracks just stop, and they're gone. So, you know, we don't know exactly what these things are. We don't know where they come from, and, you know, it's one of man's greatest questions, you know. Are there unknown creatures walking among us? That's why I do what I do. I'm trying to find a piece to the puzzle. Uh, I want to talk about your, some of your paranormal or supernatural investigations, and, and uh, you have sustained a number of injuries uh, during these investigations, and there's some, there's some uh, photos on uh, the website, DaveSpinksParanormalInvestigator.com. Yeah. Uh, tell me about. There's one. Uh, I'm looking at uh, a photograph of you and your um, your eye. It looks mm-hmm. like a broken blood vessel. Uh, yes. What happened there? Well, it was actually uh, right after I had been to a notoriously negative uh, location up in actually Pennsylvania. <laughs> so uh, I actually lived in this place for a month and. Um, and went back three more times and spent two weeks at a time in this place. Uh, no one had lived there for many years. And I had gotten home, and 
I was sitting there in the in the living room, and I actually heard a popping sound, like a light bulb popping. Um, so I got up to investigate, checked every light bulb in the house. You know, none were broken; they all worked. And then I started smelling this sulfuric smell, really bad sulfur smell. And, and this was in my house, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then my eye. Just, I had this sharp shooting pain in my eye, and I went to the bathroom thinking there was something in my eye and looked, and a blood vessel had exploded in my eye. I'd never had anything like that happen before or after. Um, don't know if it was paranormal. Can't say 100%, but it's awful coincidental, you know, with the popping sound coming and then the sulfuric smell, and I just came from a really negative, a known negative location. So... Um, you know, I have to chalk it up as coincidence, but it leans towards something maybe following me home and then trying to attack me in a, in a, in a negative type way. And uh, there's another photo with a um, on the top of your head, um, yeah, kind of a, a, a red, a deep red uh, abrasion of some sort. What caused uh, it's that? It's actually blood. <laughs> um, that that happened at a notorious location in Indiana, uh, an old boarding house. Uh, not boarding house, an old brothel. Uh, it was owned by the mob, and it, it had a brothel. And this, we were actually myself and my friend David Weatherly had stayed in this place for five days, and this was the second night there. We were upstairs where the the old rooms were, you know, for the for the prostitutes, and we were in the bathroom up there, and he was running a ghost box, you know, session asking questions and trying to get responses. Well, I went, I was behind the camera and I went in there to take a piece of equipment to set on the ground next to him to film to see if we could get any hits on it. Well, as I bent over, I felt this wave of energy hit me, went right through me, knocked me backwards and I stumbled and I felt really dizzy and I was not feeling, uh, I wasn't feeling right. And we're still on, or we connected? Yeah, I'm, I'm listening. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I wasn't feeling right, and he said, my, my buddy David said, what happened? And I said, I don't know. I just felt this wave of energy hit me. And he goes, you better sit down. You don't look right. Well, I sat down behind the camera in the chair, and I kept feeling as if something was touching my head, and I kept going like this. Well, I never hit anything when I stumbled backwards or anything. This was being watched live on our YouTube channel at the time by numerous people that were there from an earlier event. And um, so after several minutes, he started asking the ghost box, he said, you know, what did you do to Dave? And a, a clear as a bell response came across the ghost box and a negative growly voice saying, I hit him. And he said, what did you hit him with? And it said a shovel, <laughs> just like that laughing. So it, it kept getting more negative and negative. So he shut the ghost box down. We went downstairs. And I kept, I felt this, that tickling sensation on my head again. So I went like this and I discovered I had a large knot and I was bleeding from the top of my head. And everybody saw it. Numerous people saw this. Numerous people were watching it live when it happened. And it was a really disturbing incident when you realize something has enough power to punch through the other side and it physically affect you. And... What's interesting about this location was the very next day, after all the people had left, we were doing another session downstairs, and this this 
character on the ghost box, he had asked what his name was, and he the the response was Ian. So he started talking to this Ian character on the ghost box again, and he started kind of provoking him a little bit, saying, well, you like attacking people and this and that, you know. And he and then this Ian character responded that he was going to slice David. And David was wearing a long sleeve shirt, thermal, with a T-shirt over top of that because it was in the middle of the winter. It was kind of chilly. And he had it tucked into his pants with a belt on. And then he was on camera the whole time. Ten minutes after this thing said it was going to slice him, he said his back was burning really bad, and he was on camera the whole time. So he, I said, lift up your shirt. And he had three really deep, welted scratches from the top of his shoulder all the way down past his belt line, and they were just about to the point where he was starting to bleed. And this thing had already warned him that it was going to slice him. And there's no physical way he could have done that, you know, reached from here behind himself and scratched all the way down without me seeing or anyone else that was watching the live feed. It was it was a phenomenal experience, uh, but also very frightening when you when this you realize something like that can reach through and actually physically harm you. And yet you keep you keep uh, putting yourself out there. You seem fearless. Was well, this is this yeah, your, your marine say, your marine uh, training? Yeah. Or? Yeah, I mean, you've got to keep trying to get answers, but at times, it's, you know, I often talk about this can be dangerous. And some of these locations, you just never know what's going to happen. You know, people have been attacked, and, and you know I, know, I know several investigators over my time that have been attacked, and their lives changed so dramatically that they had to quit investigating because of this. But you keep going back for more. Is it your Marine training that, that, that allows you <laughs> to... No, I wasn't a Marine. I, I was in the Air Force. Air Force, okay. It, yeah, um, I, I, you know, I'm seeking my own answers. I've got my own agenda here, trying to find a piece of the puzzle. And, um, you know, I'll stop when I think it's time to stop. Until then, I'm going to keep going. <coughs> Excuse me. What are you going to talk about at HillCon? Your presentation, what are you going to... Um, I don't know what they want me to do. We've got several... We've got a couple of folks that do Bigfoot and UFOs, so I'll probably talk mostly about different uh, paranormal happenings in my home state of West Virginia. I haven't decided exactly yet, but um, I've got a ton of information on this state. I've done tons and tons of investigations here, and I've got several books coming out on those investigations and other hauntings and, and paranormal activity in general in West Virginia. So I'll probably just do a broad, you know, a broad talk about the state and numerous things that have happened here. And in your um, in in all your years of investigating and and basically encountering uh, these entities, what do you think you're dealing with? Are they demonic? Are they just restless earthbound spirits? What do you think is going on? Um, I think there's some of everything. You know, uh, I don't use the word demonic loosely like a lot of these people do. Uh, I think true demonic hauntings are very few and far in between. Um, I do think there's spirits that have unfinished business and they're stuck here for whatever reason. Uh, some probably don't even know they're dead, you know. Um, it just depends on your mindset. You have to have an open mind when you do this type of stuff. Um, you can't change people's minds in two things. That's politics and religion. I don't even try, you know. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of different stuff out there. There's a lot of different things going on. And uh, like I said, you know, in my 
bio, I, it's some of man's greatest questions. I'm hoping to find a little piece of that puzzle someday. If I will, if I do, great. If I don't, I still am fascinated by all of it. And a great uh, a, a photograph on your website at uh, Dave Spinks paranormalinvestigator.com it's a, a shadowy figure squatting down in the right hand corner yes uh, w- 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 tell me just we just we have about a, about a minute here but just tell me where that okay, photo that was, was taken that, that was here in West Virginia it was at an old Coca-Cola bottling plant that uh, uh, a local police officer purchased because his family had run a haunted attraction for many years and it got so big he needed a bigger location well, he called me up one day and told me all these things that were going on in this building. You know, he was he would often write his police reports in his downtime in an office he had in there. And from the time he bought it to the time he called me, he was having unexplained footsteps, uh, voices in the building. When he was the only one in there and there was no access in or out other than through him. So long story short, I went there with a team I used to have, and we investigated it. In that particular corner, we were getting a lot of equipment hits, high EMF spikes. And I just took a set of random pictures, and there it was. It was, uh, you know, the first four pictures, nothing. The fifth picture, something that that was there, and then two more after that, and nothing else was there. Looks like a small. So, looks like some sort of an animal, almost squatting down there. Yeah, it's like a blob shadow figure. Like it almost looked like it was. There was a chair in that corner, and almost like it was standing up or sitting down, attempting to in that chair. Got okay. It's really weird. David got to really run, weird. but. Got to run, but thank you so much for this. David Spinks. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. All right. Thank you, Albert, Ian, and Ryan. Back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along for the ride. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.